Hello there, everyone. Welcome to the TSG Podcast. Just a huge disclaimer before we begin that all content produced on this channel is for education and entertainment purposes only. Enjoy the episode. So I, I believe my question to you was that now that you've seen Charlie Munger's video and that, you know, human psychology plays a role in everything, right? Mm-hmm. Because we're humans and we can be irrational every so often or a lot of the times. That's fine. Do you feel that Bitcoin and to an extent crypto is also extremely heavy in that biasm? Or is there a strong logical foundation behind it? Um, I would say there is some of both. Okay. Um, there is definitely a ton of bias in there. Now, you know, as far as the strong logical foundation, uh, there could be plenty of disagreement. There's some people that think there's no value anywhere in the space. Yes. Um, I don't believe that. I have an investment in Bitcoin. Um, but there's definitely, there is a ton of bias. There's all different kinds of biases. Um, so there's this video that got, uh, pretty popular a few weeks ago. Uh, I think it kind of went viral, but it's a video called, uh, on YouTube. It's called line goes up the problem with NFTs. And, uh, the creator is named folding ideas. And, um, it's a very long video. He goes into a ton of detail mm-hmm. about cryptocurrency. He's extremely negative. I wouldn't agree with everything he says, mm-hmm. but he certainly he certainly paints a very detailed picture of just the deep, deep biases mm-hmm. that are in the crypto space. Um, there is just there's so many ways that people try to protect protect the idea of the investment and mm-hmm. try to defend against any naysaying whatsoever um you know they develop particular uh languages mm-hmm. and things like um uh ways to just shut down criticism criticism like have fun staying poor mm-hmm. oh you've come to criticize my project well have fun staying poor you know Mm -hmm. um um i mean you know little even shibboleths things just just things to say to each other like gm which stands for good warning but there's kind of a in a weird way there's kind of this wink that like we crypto people say gm to each other you know and ah you are one of the ones who who is in on it you know Mm. um nfts i mean you the idea for a lot of people is you buy this NFT, um, you can put it as a profile picture, mm-hmm. and then that is like a badge, right? Like you've mm-hmm. talked about how you don't necessarily want to talk about your investments. Mm-hmm. In some, a lot of NFTs are the exact opposite, where mm-hmm. you are literally saying, "This is my investment. It it now is me. My identity is this, you know, like little picture of an ape." which is now in the picture where it would be a picture of me. The picture that I want associated with me is this this picture of an ape, which I paid for. Mm -hmm. And I want everyone to see that I paid for it. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so yeah, the biases, it's just so ripe with biases. And, um, that video I mentioned, it just goes into a lot of, a lot of detail. Mm. Um, now I'm, I've been really specifically in the Bitcoin space. So there's people that get called Bitcoin maximalists. And I guess I would probably, you know, accept the label of a Bitcoin maximalist, someone who believes that a that value is really hard to come by outside of Bitcoin in the mm -hmm. value is hard to come by in the altcoin space, that there are a lot of altcoins that are probably not going to pan out very well. Mm -hmm. It seems like a lot of them were, uh, created without enough understanding of what different tools are available to people who create computer systems, mm -hmm. uh, you know, different ways of using cryptography, different ways of creating distributed computing systems and server applications. A lot of people think that you can just create these decentralized applications and put it on the blockchain. And that makes it decentralized. It makes it redundant. It gives it all these benefits. And a lot of times there are other ways to get those benefits. Mm -hmm. um, and it, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to understand. It's, you know, if a lot of people don't know how to architect a big complex computing system, and that's kind of what you need to know in order to judge a lot of these projects. Mm -hmm. um, now, even in the Bitcoin space, where I do think Bitcoin has value, there's still a ton of bias. The phrase have fun staying poor was created by a Bitcoin maximalist. Someone mm -hmm. comes in to criticize Bitcoin, they just say, have fun staying poor, you know, and there's really this, um, this army, this idea of hodlers mm -hmm. that you get some Bitcoin and you just never, ever, ever let it go. You write it to zero, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if it's going to zero. You are, you just got to hodl. Because um, your identity is now instilled into it. Yes. Yeah. And you should make it your identity. You should talk about it. Um, so there's definitely a ton of, of bias in the Bitcoin world and, um, different, you know, what's interesting is if someone comes in with a positive investment thesis, um, you know, if you, if you go back and listen to through our podcast so far, mm -hmm. there's a lot of subtlety involved in investing. And mm -hmm. so if you come up with a positive thesis, mm -hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean that you should take all your life savings and sell your car and your house and pile it into this no. bet just because you found a positive thesis. Mm -hmm. um, positive, a, a positive investment thesis does have sort of limited scope. Mm -hmm. And, you know, on Twitter and online, a lot of people just don't think with that level of subtlety or they don't want to apply that level of subtlety or for whatever reason a positive investment thesis can come along and everyone just says up oh, it's over. I found the one investment that I shall now create a shrine to and, and bow down to until it makes me rich, you know? Um, so one, uh, really interesting and controversial thesis in the Bitcoin space was a set of models called the stock to flow model. Mm. So, um, it started, there was an Austrian economics, an Austrian economist named uh, Seyfedin Amus, who wrote a book called The Bitcoin Standard. And mm -hmm. he basically spends, 
a lot of the book going deep into the economics of what is money, going through monetary history and describing different forms of money going back into ancient times. Mm-hmm. And um, he then goes on to explain why he thinks eventually, maybe a long, long time from now, not necessarily soon, but eventually Bitcoin will become one of the most important monetary assets, <clears throat> if not the most important, um, you know, either as important as gold or possibly most likely even more important than gold someday. And he talks about, he then, you know, part of his book, he just kind of maybe as a, almost a side discussion, he says, so how do we, how exactly would we value Bitcoin? You know, and it's at this early phase, it's really speculative to actually say, what kind of, we expect Bitcoin's value to go up, but where exactly would it stop? And, you know, could we get some kind of estimate of what rate of growth we might expect? Mm-hmm. And he brings up an idea called stock to flow valuation. Um, it's a common method of valuation used in gold markets and uh, diamonds and real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea is the stock is the amount of this stuff that is in circulation, right? So mm-hmm. for real estate, it's the amount of houses that are out there, not just the ones that are for sale, but all of them. Yep. All of them that have been created already. That would be the top of the ratio. That would be the numerator. And then the denominator is <clears throat> the flow. Mm-hmm. How, what is the rate that these things are being brought into the market? Mm-hmm. And... Um, Gold and real estate have a very high stock to flow ratio. There's a ton of, I mean, there's a lot of it in existence, but there's so little being brought into the world. Mm. So these things, uh, these are commonly used as a store of value because okay. they're so, because they're scarce and it's really difficult to alleviate that scarcity. Housing so prices. Rarity, rarity plays a role. Yes, rarity okay. plays a role. And okay. the stock to flow ratio is a way of actually trying to put a number on that rarity. Mm. Um, and so with Bitcoin, what's interesting is we can see the the creation of the Bitcoin is pretty much fixed. I mean, there's a little bit of probabilistic variation as far as exactly when um, future Bitcoin will be released, but <clears throat> for the most part, it's pretty much determined exactly how much Bitcoin there will be two years from now, seven years from now, 50 years from now, um, the rate at which it's being created and the rate at which Bitcoin is being created is declining. So every four years, the growth rate of Bitcoin gets cut in half. Hmm. So, uh, right now, every 10 minutes, uh, there's another six Bitcoin created. Wow. Um, in a couple years, that will be three Bitcoin created per 10 minutes. Wow. And then four years after that, it'll be one and a half. Wow. Per 10 minutes. Um, so, yeah, there's currently 19 million Bitcoins in existence, and it will stop at 21 million. Wow. So it is asymptotically, the growth rate is asymptotically approaching zero. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's an anonymous, um, I guess he would be an investment manager. He says he's worked for um, 
for what kind of, what are the institutions? I think sovereign wealth funds. He is a guy. Um, I've heard his voice. He, he keeps himself anonymous. His name is plan B. Okay. Um, I believe he's Dutch or something. Okay. He has like a Dutch accent. Um, and he says he's worked for sovereign wealth funds and done work on, uh, investment modeling and trying to understand how, where should these sovereign wealth funds put their money? And he would do things like create a stock to flow model of gold mm-hmm. to try and see, you know, try and get an understanding of how gold should fit into their portfolio. And he does the, this type of, uh, asset modeling as his job. And so he, uh, read that book, the Bitcoin standard, and he thought, Hey, I could take this stock to flow idea and actually create a stock to flow model for Bitcoin. Hmm. And so he published one. I think the first one he published was in, uh, 2019, but he's, he's, modified it and done a few different versions but basically what you see is the and so now there's a tricky aspect of this which is you can model the stock to flow you can just see the ratio change Mm -hmm. and that's certain um what's uncertain is how exactly is this going to affect the price and so i think the way he mapped it onto price was took the past price changes and essentially did a regression so that the past price changes, they are overlaid on the past changes to the stock to flow. And you can see how when the stock to flow changes um, at the halvings, right, at each of these four-year moments when the supply issuance has been cut in half, you'll see the price jump up and we'll have one of these mini, you know, sort of bubbles, and then the price will come back down, and it'll settle at a higher level. And it's doing this stair-stepping upwards mm. along with the change in the stock to flow. So is it is it are the steps getting bigger or is it a linear, like a straight line up? Um So I'm, it's I'm pretty much asking is it is it like a J shape or is it like a, a, a just a straight line? It's like a J shape. It's exponential. Okay. 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 Um, so really quickly, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but mm-hmm. my thought again, this is, this is why I'm still very skeptical in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And, and again, it, it's just my, my thought process. Say that we're hitting that 21 million, right? Say that 21 mm-hmm. million Bitcoin is about to reach its end where no more Bitcoins ever going to be mined ever again. Mm-hmm. So if you are still a holder of Bitcoin by that point, no other valuation is there. That means that when you trade your Bitcoin, there's there's two 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 points I'm making with this right here. When you trade your Bitcoin, you're essentially selling it at the same price that you the other person would be purchasing and selling again, right? There's no change in valuation whatsoever, mm-hmm. right? So at that point, then people aren't going to look into Bitcoin as a means for profit, right? So yep. hence why you know it won't be a huge hype by that point. But at that same point, once you hit that plateau period where the growth is no longer there and you've already mined out everything, say that I was an institutional investor. Say that I had 100,000 Bitcoin mm-hmm. right before I hit the plateau. Say that we're at 20 million and five thousand right mm-hmm. 
if I want to get out of the Bitcoin realm and I, I sold all 100,000, I could make a lot of money on that. Mm-hmm. And so my, my point is why would I even, what is the benefit of holding Bitcoin at such a high valuation? And if you're a common, if you're a common investor and say you had like one or two Bitcoins in there and everyone is trying to make a profit out of that and then you see no more profit being made then you're going to start to sell at least most investors i would think would try to sell because there's no more prospect of growth and so when that happens and everyone sees that we're approaching that 21 million wouldn't that just crater the valuation of bitcoin all the way down because there's no growth left right Right. So, so the, why why would you hold on to something that potentially has no more growth? That that's my um, question. The idea would be that it is expected to slow that the price growth is expected to slow down and plateau. Okay. And at that point that you're talking about, the reason to invest in it would not be to capture a massive speculative growth, okay. but rather uh, there's maybe sort of two reasons. Number one is uh, just to have a portion of your portfolio that you would expect to maintain value. So for example, gold, okay. gold has a very stable uh, stock to flow. I think currently, I can't remember if the Bitcoin is currently matching the price of the stock to flow of gold or if it will at the next having okay. but at any rate um i think one or two havings from now gold uh one or two havings from now bitcoin will match the stock to flow of real estate okay but at any rate you uh, an investor could invest in those things even if they don't expect the price to explode mm-hmm. as long as they expect the price to be maintained in that case i might want to put what? one or two or five percent of my portfolio in something where i expect the price not to go down now well um go ahead so if that was the case right that we're trying to maintain wealth all the people who are investing in crypto right now i'm i can't say for certain but i would think that they're there for the growth only right they see that the pricing is going up they they're jumping on the bandwagon so to speak yeah they don't really understand what crypto is supposed to be but they, they're jumping on the bandwagon because they expect a good return. So once the return goes out and most of those investors see that the returns are now slowing down quite a bit of a margin, would the pricing still be at the valuation it is today? Or is there going to be a massive pop in the bubble, so to speak, where 75 to 80 percent of those investors that are on the bandwagon again i'm just throwing that number off the top of my head would the pricing still be there because unlike gold gold is still being mined we don't know what the cap is for gold yet so i i believe that does play a role in maintaining its valuation but bitcoin we know exactly when it's going to stop and so wouldn't that just freak everyone out as we get closer to the finish line um like so if i'm jumping on the bandwagon right now and we're already at 19 million 
as as a person who jumped on the bandwagon again i'm putting myself in that shoe once it hits 20 million i I, i'm pretty much saying okay there's only a million left i'm gonna go out and probably put my money in gold because at least gold is still there right I, i will just convert my assets into something that is more tangible um i'm having a hard time with understanding what part of that thesis makes it makes people well so yeah so there are speculative investors who are just looking to mm-hmm. unload it you know um again we, we now, only saw the huge price jump within the last five to ten years right uh-huh because it's uh, only existed for 10 years yeah, well again yeah. we've never had this time before mm-hmm. i mean the only thing that i could compare this to and this is just based on history itself okay it is the whole tulip idea or the tulip mania mm-hmm. in i think it was the dutch or the netherlands where you had a rare species of tulips that there was a s- rarity behind them and it was a it was a certain cap right mm-hmm. and people were just piling in money on it because it, it was a status symbol now the difference mm-hmm. between the two now now I can actually say this the difference between the two is that people were able to discover how to create more of these tulips which cratered the pricing because now it's no longer rare it's from rare to to common mm-hmm. now bitcoin again this could be a contradictory argument on my end but I'm trying to think this out right here bitcoin mm-hmm. we do have 20 21 million being the the max it's ever going to be and the only way that you can convert your asset is if the other person on the other end agrees to purchase it at that price. So, mm-hmm. and it's a digital thing. And so I'm having a hard time wrapping the idea of owning a digital thing that you can't really see, hold, here to maintain wealth. Like with gold, at least it's something tangible. I, at least I can I can see it. I can hold it. I, I I can, you know, put it away. And you know, at the end of the day, someone is going to use it to at least convert the gold into jewelry, for instance, right? It, it can mm-hmm. still be converted into something that can be used in society. So can Bitcoin be converted into something that's usable? That, that I, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Because if it can be, then I can now start seeing Bitcoin and gold being a very similar idea. I, I know that technology and you know something tangible is not the same, but at least I can kind of start understanding it. So, is there an application to Bitcoin itself, the technology or the currency that can be converted from your own holding into something? that can be used by other companies. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the key arguments here would be that it will take the role of money. Mm. Um, some people think it would replace the use of the U S dollar and other government currencies. Um, mm-hmm. And so this idea of once it starts to reach this stability in price where people aren't expecting it to be going up so much anymore, that stability now uh, helps it be a good money. 
-hmm. Right now it's volatile. And so people criticize and say, well, it's not good to money because it's going up and down. Mm -hmm. But the thesis would be that um, there's essentially a phase transition Mm. where Bitcoin is currently becoming money. And so it has this upside potential. But there will be a gradual transition to becoming a technology a a technology like just a pure digital scarcity that can be used as money Mm. um where it's the fixed supply gives it a certain monetary usefulness that other things have not had gold often was used as money and that I think one of the key things about it was the fact that you couldn't just create more of it. Yeah. Um, other forms of money like wampum shells. Um, Bitcoiners often just do a case study about this, uh, this group of Pacific Islanders. Uh, I believe it was called the Island of Yap mm. where they created these stones called rye stones mm-hmm. and they were essentially discs of limestone and they would use these discs as money and they would the value of it was based on the size of the stone Mm. um i think they were all carved and i believe they were all carved with the same pattern Mm. um but there would be bigger ones that were then worth more Mm. and they were many of them were even really difficult to lift because they were so large Mm. but people if you just create the stone and leave it there and someone has ownership of that stone and everyone in the tribe knew who owned it. Mm-hmm. And then when someone wanted to buy something for someone else, they would let the tribe know mm. I'm buying this and in exchange, I'm giving him this stone. The stone is not going to move, mm. but everyone now knows that it belongs to him now. Mm. And so everyone carried this ledger in their brain. And in fact, they even dropped one of the stones in the ocean and mm. they said, well, you know, we lost the stone, but we'll keep using it because we know it's there. So it still belongs to that guy. Um, and so it's, it's, it's in monetary history, you find that these things take on a special life of their own. Mm. And um, for a long time now, you know, there's been a, a branch of economics called Austrian economics where they have been really looking to try and get the world back onto a gold standard because they believe that government's printing money is bad Mm -hmm. and they've been looking towards something like bitcoin for a long time that if you could somehow create computerized money that could be transferred in computers and the supply would be enforced they thought that would be sort of the best type of money from their perspective and so Mm -hmm. now uh we're getting to see an experiment of is that actually going to play out Now, as far as the transition, what's interesting is the fact that the new supply of Bitcoin keeps getting cut in half Mm. and it's doing this asymptotic approach that should or that could possibly make the transition smooth Ah. in a way. Right. So that the people who just want to keep their money safe are not interested in Bitcoin now, Mm. but maybe they would be later when Bitcoin has been around for longer and it's fluctuating less wildly. Mm. 
a different kind of person will be interested in it at that point. Mm-hmm. Now, one of, um, I think I've discussed Preston Pish's thesis before, where mm-hmm. his thesis is something like what I've described, where Bitcoin will become sort of a monetary asset. And the idea is he believes, he's invested strongly in Bitcoin right now because he believes that it's going to go up in the next 10-ish years. Mm-hmm. But as a true value investor at heart, what he thinks is there will come a point when uh, companies start wanting to be paid in Bitcoin Mm. and a profitable company will begin to become profitable in Bitcoin terms. Mm. And then by definition, they're beating Bitcoin. And so he will then sell his Bitcoin and buy stocks. And he's not assuming that the price of Bitcoin is going to crash because everyone's going to do that at the same time. What he's thinking is at that time when he sells his Bitcoin, the buyers will be people who are not necessarily looking for that much upside. They're more looking for safety now. Mm. And his thesis also includes uh, uh, a big change in the bond market and mm. this idea that the what is considered safe now is totally out of whack and that that will be readjusted and Bitcoin will look more attractive. Hmm. Now, um, and that's under the assumption that Bitcoin becomes a globally accepted form of payment. Correct. Um, yeah, I think for the most part, I, I mean, mean, if companies there are going to gonna... be, mm-hmm. I, there will certainly be jurisdictions that may not, uh, accept it. You know, China, Mm-hmm. may never allow bitcoin to be used at least by not by the people mm-hmm. I, I can see the government would use it if they had to uh you know maybe are already but um the people i don't th- they would try and not let the people circulate that because they want to have that control and i mm-hmm. think so the idea that you know that the you know, a lot of people in the U.S. think that the government printing money is bad. Um, and and a lot of Americans would look for us to transition off of a system where the government could just print money at will. Mm-hmm. And the money's not backed by something else. Mm-hmm. Um, but China, I think, um, would possibly be willing to go to the lengths they need to go to 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 keep the people using a money that they can print without backing Mm. and to accomplish that you need massive authoritarianism you need just to control the internet to control free speech and uh i think they look at that and say yeah that's our plan that Mm. and so indefinitely we could have fiat money but there's a lot of uh bitcoiners and even non-bitcoiners a lot of uh a lot of People in the United States think, yeah, our monetary system is uh, is not compatible with the level of freedom that we're guaranteed in the United States, and that essentially uh, the U.S. dollar, as it exists now, is kind of like a bubble that's guaranteed to pop at some point. Mm. Um, of course, not everyone believes that, but mm. um, and there's certainly people who do not believe in Bitcoin who do believe that. Um, there's a lot of gold bugs, for example, who think 
we got to go back to a gold standard and that they even think maybe it would be inevitable that we would go back maybe. to a gold standard. I, I, so. I can't say for certain, so <laughs> I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's an issue that I look into a lot because I think we're headed into some pretty bumpy waters in the world system Yes, over the next five to ten years. And so yes. I think there will be big changes one way or another. And so I try to keep an eye out on what I think the big changes will be. We'll see. I now I could go ahead. I can predict that we will be hitting rough waters very but then again mm-hmm. I've been saying this since two thousand and sixteen that we're we're headed towards a rough water type of route. Uh and two thousand seventeen, two thousand eighteen it wasn't that case and then all of a sudden COVID hit and then we just like been tumbling since so yeah yeah hmm. interesting yeah. very interesting now i did have some other things to say about uh the psychology <laughs> of the crypto markets um well so i was just mm-hmm. huh no no uh, yeah i'll go ahead and uh go to that so so i was talking about this stock to flow model that uh-huh. had been created um now, if you look it up, I think you could even do Google image search for uh, S2F, just like three characters, or you could do stock to flow model. You'll okay. see this picture of this model that just goes up and to the right on an exponential scale. <laughs> yes. And it doesn't like, you don't see the leveling off. We've been talking about the leveling off. Yes. And the person who created the model, in fact, believes that uh, it's not just infinite up to the right, that there will... It will plateau out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it will plateau out. But uh, that's not in the picture. (laughs) And so um, a lot of... There was a ton of excitement around this stock-to-flow model on Twitter and online. And, and, you know, a lot of debate and a lot of people defending it um, and, you know, attacking critics of the model. Mm -hmm. And there was definitely a lot of bias around this model because it's just uh someone who owns bitcoin just wants it to be true so bad <laughs> that it's gonna <laughs> it's just like it confirms uh our our greatest desires that it will just blast off into the stratosphere but well, um, it looks like a logistic model if anything it's just a when i'm looking at this graph it looks like a regular logistic model right mm-hmm. where you now have calculus placed on it where it's like ream on some at least just from the i'm talking super nerdy right now for 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 those mm-hmm. listeners who are listening i i'm, I'm going into super no, nerd mode right now uh where we're talking about math lingo calculus lingo but it really does just look like that it's just a uh as you, as you get higher and higher the the growth rate slows down it's still growing just like how apple is is still growing mm-hmm. right now but it's it's its potential for extreme growth rate just declines. Yeah, and notice um, the growth the growth rate slows down in log terms, right? Yes. If you look at the left yes. axis. Yes. So it's like slowing down, but it's also like yep. almost kind of speeding up in a way, like in yes. terms of just the, the numbers. Yep. Um, and yeah, you can see that there's this underlying stair-step pattern, mm-hmm. and then there's the, uh, in a lot of versions, there's these colored dots yeah. that are showing the price, and then he just did a logistic regression i think to fit the price to yep. 
the stock to flow. Yep. So, I mean, the first criticism that uh, people often come up with is like, why, what is the actual relationship between these two lines, right? How, how come the past rate of growth is expected to match the future rate of growth? Like, mm-hmm. in other words, some, what some people say is uh, the supply on this model is clear, but where's the demand on this model? Exactly. And the demand is essentially being estimated from past demand mm. through this mathematical method. They're saying, oh, here's the past demand. We'll just slap it on top of the supply. And that's the relationship between supply and demand. And it's mm. like, well, wait a minute. The future demand for Bitcoin is probably going to be qualitatively different than the past demand for Bitcoin. Could be, yeah. So... I mean, that's a big variable, right? That's a big yeah. if, right? Mm-hmm. Or a big assumption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, we'll we'll probably have to post this up in the description for the viewers to see or the listeners to see. I keep saying viewers because you know I do YouTube mm-hmm. as well, so <laughs> I'm just like, oh. But yeah, this is interesting. I've actually never seen this model before. Thanks for sharing. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, I would definitely say to all of you who look at this model, don't uh, make too much of it. It's yeah. a it's one tool in an arsenal. It's an attempt to create a stock to flow bottle of bitcoin but it's mm-hmm. not um you know i think there were a lot of people out there who said like this is the one reason why i'm never gonna sell any bitcoin <laughs> and why i'm gonna put all my money in it and so yeah well, this was, there was definitely a lot of bias around this model yeah well eventually someone wants to sell it right somebody's going to yeah. sell it just to cash out and then enjoy the the monetary uh love of uh, of it so yeah and that's part of that uh the idea that it'll transition to being more stable is that Mm -hmm. it the people who are more speculative investors they gotta at some point it will just be too tempting to get that nice car or or something Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. um so it it won't just it can't just be the speculative bonanza forever that's just literally impossible i had one more item that i was going to talk about okay um it was just essentially that in um, in Bitcoin, uh-huh. there are, and perhaps in crypto in general, I'm more just in the Bitcoin sphere, but there are, in fact, some critics of Bitcoin and criticisms of Bitcoin that are highly valued among the community. And that, in fact, it's not, this, it's not just pure bias. There are plenty of people who definitely think critically about all these theses and there are a lot of open questions in Bitcoin. There are questions about um, privacy. Yes. For example, Bitcoin is not the most private cryptocurrency. Hmm. Um, there, it essentially has a public ledger, mm-hmm. and some people think, "Look, that actually is not a great money, right? If you have cash or gold, you at can, least you can keep it private, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there are." Uh, with the technology of Bitcoin, there's some really strange privacy issues that pop up. Like, for example, the way Bitcoin works right now, at least, mm-hmm. um, and there are ways to mitigate this, obviously, but on the base layer of Bitcoin, if uh, I got, if someone paid me a whole Bitcoin, let's say, mm-hmm. so that's worth something like $38,000. Okay. Let's say someone just paid me that yesterday. I turn around and I'm like, hey, I'm going to buy a computer off you. Mm -hmm. And so I send you some Bitcoin in the amount of the computer. You know, let's say I send you $1,000 worth of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. What is going to happen on the network is 
the entire previous input that I got will go to you and then I'll get change back. Hmm. So on the ledger, it will essentially give you $38,000 worth of Bitcoin and then give me back $37,000 of Bitcoin, leaving you with 1000 And then you can go look publicly online. You can just mm-hmm. punch in your transaction ID and you can see, oh, this person has $37,000 worth of Bitcoin. I can see it now because just because they did a transaction with me, they only gave me a thousand, mm-hmm. but I can see they have 37,000 and you know what? Maybe I want to go beat them up and tell them that they need to give me more. Oh, or dang. I'll, I'll, right. So oh, dang. this, this becomes an issue and there's a lot of, uh, well, especially, thorny if you're, issues yeah, in Bitcoin. especially if you're one individual who's carrying like say a hundred thousand Bitcoins, I mean, you're going to mm-hmm. be a nice, nice yep. person to get to know. Yeah. <laughs> just saying right so uh, yeah that 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 i can see posing some issues mm-hmm. and you know there's companies like coinbase where they are handling people's bitcoin and then they collect all their information about them yep. they collect so now if someone wants to hack you know people say oh bitcoin is so difficult to hack it's this amazing security technology it's like okay well i don't need to hack bitcoin i could hack coinbase you know mm-hmm. i could hack these other companies that have um done bitcoin services for people and collected their information now i can just get people's addresses phone numbers etc wow um so there's there's a lot of um privacy issues that need to be resolved mm. there's there's questions about whether people can uh how much effort does it take for people to actually take stewardship of their own bitcoins? Mm-hmm. Um, you Bitcoin is essentially held with a, a secret piece of information called a private key. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that private key gets stolen from you, then essentially the Bitcoin is stolen from you. And a lot of people don't know how to take care of a piece of information on that level. Like here's a file on my computer. Someone Mm -hmm. gets it, then they get all my Bitcoin. Do I know enough about computer security to make sure? Most people don't. And so there's a lot of Bitcoin services that need to grow up around helping people with these things. And there's also a lot of uh, development that's needed um, Mm. to make sure things are smooth for all the usages that people want to do. Um, there's also the question of what people call layer twos where, um, you know, using Bitcoin on the base layers can, on the base layer, it can be sort of inconvenient. It can take, you know, five to 10 minutes for a transaction to confirm or longer. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, um, the fees can go up, they can go up to five, 10. I mean, they could go up really high in the future, you know, so you can't Wait, just buy a on, cup of on. coffee. I- I'm going to stop you right there because I thought the whole point of Bitcoin and in essence crypto was to get rid of the middleman mm-hmm. where fees are killing our our money. Yes. So to understand more about cryptocurrency, I actually checked this book out at the library because I thought it was very interesting. And so you can see it, uh, hopefully. Kind of. It's kind of blurred uh, mm-hmm. on the video that we're having this on right now. But it's called The Age of Cryptocurrency, How Bitcoin and Digital Money Are Challenging the Global Economic Order. And this is from uh, two authors, Paul Vigna and Michael J. Casey. I don't know if you've read this before. Uh, I have seen not. It. 
I think okay. I've heard of so, that. Yeah. I've only read the first 82 pages, so I still have a long way to go to understand what's going on. But within the first 82 pages, what they are telling me in the book, and again, I'm doing this to really understand more about Bitcoin because I really am curious to know what this whole trend is. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest initial arguments for the creation of Bitcoin was to, you know, as you said before, decentralize it, get rid of the banking middleman that controls the money and give it back to the people. Mm-hmm. And so if we are now in the process of giving third parties like Coinbase to hold on to Bitcoin and do all of this stuff isn't that veering away from the initial vision of what bitcoin was supposed to be which is decentralizing everything and just have it from customer to customer right c to c type of thing Mm -hmm. yes versus going to coinbase they charge a percent to hold the money and transaction and it's still your money but they get one percent of the transaction costs and that kind of you know seems to be contradictory in terms of the crypto environment and the original intention behind bitcoin yes um i think that's that's true and um i think i don't think that services that hold custody for other people are necessarily should be completely not used there you know maybe there's some well, place yeah, yeah. for them but for a lot of people i think that's not going to be the ideal way and that is i think in some ways a placeholder and i kind of think that actually if i were just doing value investing in the crypto space i might actually look at coinbase and see that um they might not be a good bet because that is their uh that is their mo that's their way of making money but meanwhile development continues on ways of allowing people to uh handle it themselves mm-hmm. and i think um other companies are better positioned going forward for mm-hmm. opportunities uh so like i'll just name a couple one interesting company is a company called casa that allows mm-hmm. people to hold the coins themselves but they um they use some really interesting techniques to make it easier for everyone to hold the coins themselves while still uh allowing that level of freedom and independence um -hmm. another really interesting company um you know it's it's somewhat speculative at this point but the company block jack dorsey's company Mm -hmm. which used to be called square Mm -hmm. um they're getting in some ways they're going to directly challenge casa like i mentioned before uh they've Mm -hmm. borrowed some of their ideas but they're also block has a really ambitious roadmap i think as far as creating uh alternatives for the average person to use cryptocurrency in a way that is um allows it to hold them hold it themselves and really cuts out the middleman um so yeah some of this is still taking shape but definitely definitely there is something that about 
a company like Coinbase that does not jive with the ethos of mm-hmm. cryptocurrency. But if you if you look at Coinbase and I'm looking at their uh, balance statements right now, mm-hmm. and this this is this is why I came to the conclusion earlier that you know all the bandwagoners are eventually going to hop off kind of kind of thing because mm-hmm. if you look at coinbase and that that's the whole ethos of coinbase which is you know i'm gonna hold the coins for you you don't have to go mine it yourself i already have it you can purchase it from me i'll still hold on to it and you can trade it internally with another person back and forth kind of thing uh and i'll just take one percent of the transaction fees right which is what current banks are doing right now anyways and so not transaction fees but other types of fees but if you look at the current balance statement, at least for the last three years, since 2019, just looking at the top line, we're going from 534 million to 1.2 billion to 7.8 billion in terms of top line net sales of revenue. That means that somehow they're getting more capital in their company. Now, do I know the process of the capital itself just looking at the balance statement sheet? No, because I can't tell how many clients that is going into Coinbase. But with an increase in revenue, you would assume, and I think it's safe to assume, that there is a bigger clientele base, mm-hmm. right? Because that's how they're making money. There's a lot more transaction going on in Coinbase. And so the whole theory or the whole reasoning why you know the initial creators of Bitcoin was creating Bitcoin was to decentralize and not have income uh, fees or whatnot such as that. But it looks like... At, in terms of the general market or the general idea is that people don't really know what the original ethos or the original mission statement of Bitcoin was and they are going into what's the most convenient for them and they're willing mm-hmm. to pay that 1% transaction fee if it is 1%. I don't know what the percentage is. It could be 0.1%, whatever. Um, but it, it looks like the general market doesn't really care uh because if they did then a company like coinbase shouldn't be profitable again i i never looked at coinbase this is my first time looking at the balance statement sheet so i could be completely wrong and i I totally admit that i could be wrong right now Mm -hmm. (laughs) but just looking at it that's a that's the story that i'm coming up with right now at least in terms of the general public they just see that it's something that's a huge trend. Everyone's talking about, okay, let's go in. Let's bandwagon this. We're going to make a ton of money. And then I'm going to get out when it gets boring or something like that. I could be wrong. Um, yeah. Um, Again, the is... general public, the general public isn't educated. Like even myself, I'm not educated in, in crypto, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm a perfect example. I don't know anything about crypto. And I have to go to the library, check out a book just to understand what the heck is going on. <laughs> yeah, so this is... that's me taking the initiative to try to understand what's going on. So, <laughs> yeah, so in a lot of ways, one of the trickiest aspects of the whole cryptocurrency space is that they are almost not designed for the average American person in yeah. 2022. The point, mm-hmm. um, the point of cryptocurrencies, mm-hmm. the initial market, like maybe the average American would be the target market for this thing 10, 20, 30 years from now. But the mm-hmm. target market when it was designed was for people who 
can't trust their currency system for one or reason cent- or another. And well, so I mean, there's a yeah. variety of different people who might be in that boat. There's people mm-hmm. in developing countries, authoritarian countries, um, places where they just don't trust their currency system. And now they have a permissionless option that, mm-hmm. uh, that they can use. Um, mm-hmm. The first country to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender was a Latin American country. And mm-hmm. uh, that is that makes a lot of sense because Latin America has seen currency crises. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people in Latin America who use gold as currency. Mm-hmm. And so they have a completely different attitude towards uh, money. A lot of Americans, you know, our currency has served us well. And there's, mm-hmm. you know, probably <clears throat> I think our currency, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. Inflation's going up. But I think there's a good chance that our currency will continue serving us well for another 10, 20 years. Um, mm-hmm. And so if you're for someone to move off of dollars, that would take a ton of fear. That would take a level of Mm -hmm. fear that most people living today can't even imagine in terms of directing fear toward your own currency. Like people in living memory, that just seems bizarre. You know, you talk to the average American, it's like, what do you mean? A dollar would become worthless. That's almost an absurd idea, you know? Yeah. Um, Now, so there are people in other countries who, who might be more interested in something like Bitcoin for that reason. Another people group of people who think this way are extremely wealthy people who are trying to preserve their wealth, who are thinking of a variety of different contingencies and may want to put small portions of their portfolio into Mm -hmm. something just as a hedge in case of disaster. Mm -hmm. Um, And, also, you know, I've brought up Austrian economics, where this is a really popular, um, popular way of thinking about economics among extremely wealthy people, among bankers, um, and a lot of people of you know on Wall Street have been looking forward to something like this for a long time. Um, still not sure if this is it necessarily, right? Uh, a lot of Wall Street is still very wary of cryptocurrency, but there's definitely, I do think that, um, yeah, in some ways it's really hard for value investing to sort of sync up with cryptocurrencies because, um, number one, this idea that the average person, it's not even really Mm -hmm. meant for them, which is like almost Mm -hmm. the opposite of, of value investing, right? Value investing. It's like, look for something the average person is really going to want and they're never going to stop wanting. Um, well, I mean, well, to make a counter argument that Bitcoin was developed for the common person to mine on their home computer, right? Mm-hmm. That was the whole vision of what Bitcoin was. And again, I'm reading this from this book, right? Mm-hmm. And the original intention was that, you know, we want to get away from a failing currency or a currency that has a lot of manipulation. Fine. I get that. And so people at home can mine their own Bitcoin and use that as a currency with their at-home technology. Mm-hmm. But what they didn't see, and again, I don't know why I'm bringing this up, but what they didn't see, I just want to share with you what I learned. What they didn't see was that people, especially those who are able to purchase more professional-grade technology computer equipment, 
um, they're just like piling in, purchasing like twenty thousand graphics card, and then just running that themselves to to mine all of these Bitcoin. And so it took it away from the people who it was designed for, and now it's going back into the institutions. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was just an interesting concept that I've read, and I wanted to share with everyone. <laughs> yeah, so, I don't know why I was making that point. I forgot why I was making that point. But uh, well, yeah, we were talking um, about the impact to the common man. Oh uh, yes, yes. There are a lot of different levels to examine exactly what Bitcoin means to the common man. I was thinking mm-hmm. in terms of marketing and kind of ah, okay, um, yeah. It's not it's not meant for like the yeah. user base, right? Because we were yeah. talking about Coinbase and kind of the user base. Yep. Um. And. Yeah, there's a few directions we could kind of go from here. Um, <laughs> we could say that for another episode. I, I think that uh, that's going to be a nice topic to talk about later on. Yeah, I think broadly what I was in the middle of was going over Sorry. criticisms <laughs> of... No, it's good. It's good. Uh, I was just f- kind of finishing up going over sort of criticisms and issues in the Bitcoin space where, you know, there are a lot of us in the Bitcoin community who like to discuss problems uh, mm-hmm. and hear about people who have new ideas regarding problems with Bitcoin. And I haven't even really scratched the surface. I mean, Ooh. there's the discussion of layer twos where, you know, um, where, you know, transacting on the Bitcoin main chain would require, you know, transactions that take time to settle and can have some high fees. And so they've created systems like a like the liquid system which is sort of a side chain it's like almost a separate blockchain that runs faster and cheaper that mm-hmm. but it uses the same bitcoin instead of being like ethereum or something where it uses a separate token um probably the most popular layer two would be a thing called lightning which is essentially a networked way of batching transactions so that the fees are lower and you can we make a bunch of quick, inexpensive transactions with each other, and then later on we settle. And then all those connections are set up in a giant network so that you can make a transaction with someone on the other side of the network through all these other people who essentially have channels open. They have standing transactions on the Bitcoin main chain that have not been settled yet. Um, okay. And there's a whole can of worms as far as those different solutions. What are the trade-offs with those? When will they be ready for everyone to use them? Um, Lightning is probably making its way into prime time. Um, A lot Mm -hmm. of uh, point of sale systems are going to start accepting Lightning payments um, within a few months, I think. There's going to be like CVS, Walgreens, Starbucks, like just a bunch of stores are going to start being able to accept Lightning payments. And so there's a big discussion about is that really, is it really, really ready? Uh, and does the lightning have enough privacy for that? Um, and so a lot of us, you know, we don't shut down these critics. Um, we like the criticism because it's important Mm. to know. Um, it's important to know what's really going on here and not to just close our ears and say, no, my investment is good. Don't tell me any otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that pretty much wraps up the discussion. I think as far as what I have. Hmm. Okay. Very interesting. 
I'm just absorbing at this point. Mm-hmm. You, you, you like once you start talking about second layer, my mind is like, okay, what what just happened? <laughs> yeah, there's, <laughs> there's a lot to discuss. That'll probably come up in that book as well. You're probably gonna have to reteach me the difference between first layer and second layer in another episode because I, I'm 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 at this point where I'm I'm trying to process our discussion, and it's a lot. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a lot. So. But this is interesting stuff. It's super interesting. And, you know, Sean, I want to thank you again for sharing all your wisdom and insight on Bitcoin because I never thought I would delve this deep into actually going out to get a book to read about Bitcoin. Like, that was never on my list of things <laughs> to do. And and I was like, you know what? I'm going to check it out. Let's let's see, let's see what this, this world has, you know, this, mm-hmm. this world of crypto. And so, yeah. So thank you. Yep, no problem. All right. So I guess we should uh, end this episode here for today, yeah? Yeah. All right. So uh, thank you, everyone, for staying tuned and listening. And hopefully you guys are enjoying our uh, our, our the, the, the banter between both of Sean and I and as well as the knowledge that, you know, we're hopefully uh, giving off to everyone. So thank you again so much for staying tuned. And until next time, we'll see you guys in the next episode. And don't forget... Don't buy a dollar for a penny. That's it. All right. Take care.